Good morning, church. My name is uh, Jeff. I am, thank you, Kelly. Uh, I'm the uh, young adult pastor here, and it is an honor to uh, bring the message today. Um, I'm not as good as preacher as Pastor Gordon, but I will remember to dismiss the children. So, children, <laughs> you can go up to Kids Church. So, I got that going for me already. Um, we're going to continue in uh, our series that we've been on um, in Philippians. Um, we're going to get to three, three verses, maybe a little bit more, at least three today. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have a take, taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. So my wife, Lauren, who's here, is um, super competitive. And um, the only problem is that I'm not. So it makes it very frustrating for her and uh, very entertaining for me, actually. She, whenever she wins, you know, uh, a game or whatever it might be, I'm genuinely happy for her. And it drives her crazy for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand competitive people. But... Um, you know who's more competitive than my wife, Lauren? My friend, David. <laughs> um, so last fall, they decided to, uh, that they were going to run a half marathon. And the uh, loser had to take the winner out to a nice dinner. So race day came. And um, our friends actually came out to cheer them on. Um, they made shirts. I was going to wear this today, but I don't think you would take me seriously if I was wearing this the whole time, right? <laughs> so this, this is like the half marathon, half marathon um, shirt that our friends made. And um, what nobody knew that it was that on the day of this half marathon, Lauren was seven weeks pregnant. Not even David knew this. And um, as you can imagine, if you've ever been uh, seven weeks pregnant, Lauren was very sick, very nauseous. The whole week, she was just feeling awful. Um, and although her body and her husband kept telling her, you, you, don't, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this, she just couldn't let David have this. <laughs> so, you know, she was a trooper. She got up early, and, and she went, and she ran that race, like her life depended on it, and was actually leading um, at a steady pace till around mile 10. David finally passed her, right? And her hopes of victory just faded into the distance. Um, but she kept going, she kept running toward her goal, and she finished the race. And uh, I'm so proud of her. And uh, David, I'm proud of you too, man. You beat Lauren. And as expected, you know, he made a big deal out of it. 
Um, at week 12, when we were, you know, uh, able to finally start telling people, our friends, about Lauren's pregnancy, um, who do you think she was most excited to tell? <laughs> and um, knowing a little bit about highly competitive people at this point in my life, I, I predicted, what, what I predicted is exactly what happened. Lauren was, I mean, David was going to have none of it. I don't care if you were pregnant or shot or dead. I want you lost, right? That was, um, I did hang out with him a few weeks later after that. And he confessed. He's like, that, that hurt. You know, that got me here in the pride spot. It was a difficult time for me. Um, now, as far as I'm concerned, it, whoever Pregnant or not, if, you're, if you can run 13 miles, you're a champ, right? <laughs> um, my father-in-law, Jerry, where are you? I know you're around here. There you go. He ran that day, 13 miles. Christian Martinez ran that day, 13 miles. But they actually did it to enjoy themselves, right? <laughs> now, I, re- I did reach out to David because I, I, I was like, I just want to make sure that he's not going to be bummed, you know, that I'm telling this story. And uh, he, he texted back, and I quote, <laughs> LOL, nah, just preface that she made a bet knowing full well she couldn't deliver. <laughs> and in fact, it is more of a story, <laughs> it is more a story of pride and audacity in the face of overwhelming testosterone charged talent. Also, even if she wasn't pregnant, she would have lost, end quote. So I, he, he told me to say it, so I said it. Um, <laughs> but I, I tell you this story uh, because it's funny, but also because this text, um, here you go, David. Um, this text um, that, we, that we're looking at is, is the, the imagery of running a race is all over it, right? I'm going to read it again. Not that I have already obtained it, obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now raise your hands if for you following Jesus is always easy. (laughs) You want to come and preach? Um, I don't mean just believing a few things and showing up to church once a week, that's easy. Anyone can do that. But I mean like the truly denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following Jesus, kind of following Jesus. Do you ever get tired and discouraged? Get off track? If so, well, you're not alone, right? Like Paul himself, the Apostle Paul Felt this. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. Think about it. What has Paul done with his life up to this point? 
He's been transformed from a persecutor of the church into one of the most passionate followers of Jesus, one of the most effective missionaries, if not the most effective missionary in all of church history. He's traveled far and wide because he wants to tell everyone that he can about Jesus. And he's suffered. He's been threatened. He's been beaten. He's been stoned and imprisoned, left for dead multiple times for the gospel. As he writes this, he's currently in prison in Rome, most likely awaiting his execution. All of this because of his work for Jesus. I mean, if I were Paul, if I were in his shoes, I'd probably say, you know what? I think I'm good. You know what? I've done enough. I think I've proven myself. Right? But not Paul. He says, not that I already obtained all of this. I haven't arrived at my goal. What is his goal? Well, I think we do get a little bit of that right before, which Pastor Gordon talked about last week in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. In other words, Paul is saying, my goal, I want to know Jesus, and I want to be like him. I want to participate in all of him, even in his suffering, and his death, and his resurrection. That's what it's all about for Paul. He continues, he says, but I press on to take a hold for which, of that for which Christ took a hold of me. Now, the word here for take hold in Greek is lombano, which means to grasp after, to, to catch like a hunter that chases and catches its prey. I think of like a linebacker who like chases down their opponent, opponent grabs onto him with all his strength and does not let go. Paul says, I press on to grab on to Christ and I don't let go. Why? Because Jesus is running away and he's pushing me away and I have to work hard just to cling on? No. The text says, because Jesus took a hold of me. He did that first. That, my friends, right here is the gospel, right? That we chase after God because he chased after us. I mean, the whole Bible is is about a God who wants to be with his people. And his people keep rejecting him, keep denying him, keep pushing him away until he does the unthinkable. He becomes one of us. He comes to us. He dies on a cross to take the consequences of our sin and our rebellion unto himself and to restore our union with God. When we understand the gravity and the magnitude of what that means, the only proper response is to fall on our knees in awe, in wonder, and do anything we can just to take a hold of him the way that he's taking a hold of us. That's the gospel. Now, I can end the sermon right here, and you'd be good. But I'm going to keep going. Brothers and sisters, he said, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, this is an allusion to the Greco-Roman Olympic Games. Tens of thousands uh, would gather each year to see these athletes compete in a foot race. Um, the, uh, the runners would run from one end of the stadium to the other. So when he says, forgetting what is behind, see, a runner doesn't carry a backpack or a, or a suitcase or, you know, she doesn't even carry around her past medals, right? If we're going to run toward the goal, we have to let go of whatever is keeping us from moving forward, whatever is slowing us down. So we have to ask, like, what is that for me? What is that for you? It might be sin. It might be um, shame from the past. It might be unforgiveness or bitterness. The truth is that if you are in Jesus, you have been forgiven. You have been washed clean. You are a new creation The old has passed, and you are made new. So your past, your sin, your hurt, no longer defines you. In Jesus, your future, who you are becoming in Him, who you will be for eternity in Him, that's what God sees when He sees you. That's good news, I think. Maybe for some of us, leaving behind means um, leaving behind the old way of thinking. Maybe your worldview is being shaped more by the culture around us, by your politics, by what you're reading and what you're watching, than it is by your discipleship to Jesus. I know that for me, this has been easy to fall into. There's been many times where I've had to repent and, and refocus in the truth of Jesus. Surrender my own ideologies and my own opinions to be shaped by His truth, by His love. Maybe um, it's living in the past, being consumed by the good old days, right? Well, because things were better back then, because the world was simpler, because people were just nicer, because the church was more like I like it. Paul says, forget what is behind. Now, how do we do this? Do we just leave today and say, you know, Pastor Jeff had a point. Maybe I should just forget. Delete, delete, delete. Like, that's not how it works, right? Like, forgetting is not passive. It's an active and intentional discipline of the mind and of the heart. So every time there's a, a thought, a memory that comes that is burdensome, It's a continuous discipline to surrender it to God. To turn our attentions towards Jesus. And what he says is right. And what he says is true. Forget what is behind. And I understand that for some, this means working through our past. It means talking to someone. Opening up to your community. To a pastor, maybe. Maybe to to professional help a therapist or a counselor but just do what needs to happen what you need to do to break power from the power the past has over your life that doesn't help you or doesn't allow you to move forward 
towards life with God? What is it? What is it that you need to forget? What is it that you need to let go of and move on from? Paul continues, straining toward what is ahead. This idea of straining is exerting your body to the point of collapse where every muscle is exhausted and hitting that limit, right? How many of you, raise your hand if you have ran um, like a marathon, half marathon, um, 15, 10K? Raise your hand. Good job. Yeah. All right. Um, I personally have not done any of these things. Um, <clears throat> but my wife, my amazing wife, she's ran six half marathons in her life. And since technically we are one, <laughs> you know, I, I would say we've ran three full marathons. So um, that's why I have a, a decal on my car that says 78.6. Um, I have done a uh, Lord of the Rings movie marathon. That takes about 78 hours. <laughs> but if you're a marathoner like us, you know, you know there comes a point where you just hit that wall, right? Where you feel like you have nothing more to give. And in that moment, your will has to be stronger than every muscle in your body telling you to just quit and go home. You have to remind yourself, I prepared for this. I worked hard for this. I've gotten this far. Just keep pushing. Just keep going. You can do this, Jeff. That's what I would say if I was ever running. Sometimes following Jesus will feel that way. Carrying your cross will feel that way. But what you do in the moment of exhaustion, of suffering and trial will matter. Do you give up? Or like Paul, you strain toward what is ahead. Like a runner who's just focused. Don't, you don't look back. You keep your eyes on the prize. It doesn't matter what's, what's going on next to you, behind you. You just need to get to that finish line. When David passed Lauren and she hit that wall, she didn't give up. She didn't focus on the fact that he was going to beat her. She didn't let her pain and exhaustion stop her. She strained toward that finish line. That is what our life with God is like. It does take focus. And it does take intentionality. So we have to ask ourselves, are, are we living intentionally or is, just, is life just kind of happening to us? Are we too busy, too distracted, too apathetic to have a deep life with God? What is keeping you from having a constant focus on Jesus? It might be a, 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 so many things. Security, comfort, what other people think about you. It might be our, our, our priorities, our, our job, our career, even our family. Good things that we've allowed to become the ultimate things in our life. 
And they take up the whole of our attention, the whole of our devotion, of our energy, and our passion. They're taking the place that only Jesus can sustain in our life. Because we all know, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you all know that following Jesus doesn't just happen haphazardly. It takes intentional arranging of your whole life around Jesus. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, the ultimate prize for us is Jesus, hands down. There's nothing better. Jesus and his kingdom. That is the greatest reward. But the scriptures do talk about um, that how we live our life now actually matters in eternity, in the life to come. There's this story that Jesus tells in Luke 19, and uh, there's this master. He has ten servants, um, and he goes away for an extended period of time, and he tells them, I'm going to give you this money, and I want you to put it to work for when I return. So that he gave them each a, a mina, which is about three months' wages, median San Diego wage, um, uh, well, actually, I don't know what three months. What's, I, I need a, well, never mind. Okay. Um, so three months wages, right? Okay, so mina. He goes away, and uh, the first one, you know, he, he says, I put your mina to work, and I made an extra 10 for you. And he says, not bad. Good job. Well done. Let me put you in charge of 10 cities so you can get city of San Diego, you can get La Mesa, National City, Encinitas, et cetera, et cetera, right? The second person, he says, you gave me a mina, and I am giving you five more what you gave me. Good job. You can be in charge of five cities. You can have El Cajon, La Jolla, Chula Vista. Third person, um, well, you gave me a mina, um, and I was afraid. I was nervous, so I just decided to hide it. But here it is. You know, you, you can have it back. And the master is angry. He says, don't you know me? You should have at least invested it. So he took it from him and he gave it to um, the person with the ten cities. Basically what Jesus is saying here, how you live now matters. When Jesus returns, we will stand in front of God and he will ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? For some, it will be money. It will be your wealth, your career, or your business. The ability to make money, which I wish I had, but we all wish we had that, right? For, us, for some, it might be a talent, or intellect, or a skill, or a calling on your life. For some, it's the family that God gave you and entrusted to you is that that child, that daughter, that son of yours. One day we will stand before God and he's going to ask us, okay, what did you do with everything I gave you? Paul is saying, when I stand in front of the master, I don't want to be the person with nothing to show. And hear me out, this is not about earning God's love. 
in God's grace, his salvation. It's about how we respond to what he's so freely given us. In eternity, there will be reward and authority given to each of us. That's what the scriptures talk about. And the truth is that some people who love Jesus will have very little to show for their long years of life. And that's not who I want to be. Maybe I'm not the lady with the ten cities. Maybe you are. But I want to give everything. I want to give the best of me. And that's all we're called to. That's all we can do. We don't worry about others, you know. Just, just let them do what they're doing. Worry about yourself. Are you running to win the prize? What has God given you? What has he entrusted you to steward? Are we giving ourselves fully to... I mean, we're all giving ourselves fully to something. Is it Jesus or is it something else? Towards the end of his life, Paul writes to his disciples, Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his return. I think of Calvin Crosby's story that we got to hear yesterday at the men's breakfast. He's deaf and blind. But because of his deep faith, he's dedicated his whole life to helping others. Whether it be through creating technology to help the blind navigate and, and, and be, uh, just navigate better and safer. Whether it be through creating beautiful art that inspires literally millions of people. Or simply by telling his story of overcoming his life's many trials, including depression, suicidal thoughts. What a powerful example of a life well lived. What a great reward awaits him in heaven. Verse 15. I was supposed to only do 12 through 14, but I'm going to keep going. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at one point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So Paul is saying here, you know, I haven't attained it yet. I'm not fully there yet. But I know that, knowing that in itself is maturity. Because the sign of maturity is knowing that you're not there yet. Right? Thinking that you are, and that you have it all figured out, and you know, that you, you know what's going on, like that is a sure sign of immaturity. We all know those people. Don't look around. But we also know people who are mature because they know that they're not there yet and you know what they're okay with that they're okay with not having all the answers okay with just kind of living in the tension because they're just comfortable with who they are and who they're not i was talking to my friend and really she's everybody's friend alita right if, if she's not your friend, you, you better get on that because 
tiny lady, spiritual giant, right? She's given her whole life to just faithfully following Jesus, quietly, sacrificially serving everyone that she encounters. Um, she's just one of those people who exudes wisdom and humility in every conversation. Um, and I was talking to her this week. We are just talking about life and talking about parenting. Um, that's a lot of the conversation that I'm having these days. Um, we are talking about politics even at one point, but we are definitely talking about Jesus, right? And uh, what she said is, you know what? You know what? The more I, I know God, the longer I've known him, the more I realize that there's so much more to learn and to grow, and I'm constantly being amazed with the new things that he's teaching me. That is maturity speaking. And I could really say that about many of you, both young and well-established. <laughs> it's the, the understanding that following Jesus is a journey in which we are constantly running forward. And yeah, sometimes we slow down. Sometimes we might get off track. Sometimes we even trip. But we get back up. We ask for help when we need it. And we keep running towards Jesus. Last verse, 16. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. So we're all in different places. I mean, some of us have been following Jesus for a while, maybe 10, 20, 40, 60 years. We should ask ourselves, how are we living up to what we have obtained in our long discipleship to Jesus? Is our life demonstrating that? There's a few of you who have been following Jesus maybe for a few months, if not less. And to you I say, Following Jesus is a a long journey. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. But you are to live up to what you have received. And you always need to be moving forward. Every day we should be growing. We should be progressing, becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And for followers of Jesus, the best that God has for us is in the future. We should never look back and say, well, things were better back then. God was more active back then. I was more spiritually mature back then. That makes no sense. We always move forward. For followers of Jesus, the glory days are always ahead of us in the future. That's why we keep running forward, straining forward. And I'm not there yet. And you might be further ahead of me, but you're not there yet. And that's okay. As long as we keep moving forward. So as we come to a close, and I ask the worship team to come up, you're going to lead us in this time of worship and reflection. Would you, would you pray and, and ask God to reveal to you If there's anything that I touched on, maybe something I didn't, but God is just speaking directly to you. Something that he might want you to consider, something that he wants you to lean into today. And you're welcome to stand.
You're welcome to sit, to kneel at your chair, to come to the altars. If you want prayer, we have the center of hope. People there wanting to pray with you and for you. But respond to God in whatever way you feel most comfortable with. And ask, God, is there anything you need me to let go of today? Is there anything that's keeping me from moving forward? Today you can surrender yourself to Christ and he will wash, redeem all things. Has your discipleship to Jesus been a priority in your life? If not, how can you intentionally, it takes intentionality, intentionally arrange your life around Jesus? Are you faithfully stewarding what God has given you? What he has entrusted you? Are you living up to what you have obtained up until now? But I think most importantly, the question that we should ask ourselves And we should really ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. Am I taking hold of Christ with everything in me the way that he's taking hold of me? If not, that you would make that your priority. And if yes, that you would cling on even stronger. Let that be our prayer. that we have not already obtained all this or we have already arrived at our goal but we press on to take hold of that for which you first took hold of us we do not consider ourselves yet to take to have taken hold of it but one thing we do forgetting what is behind We strain towards what is ahead. Holy Spirit, empower us to press on toward the goal. To win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus.